Hello and welcome to another episode of the 60O Podcast. My name is Tom Campbell. Great to have your company and it is a thrill today to have on Tim Mander, former rugby league referee, 291 first games for Tim's name. Tim, how are you, mate? Very well, boys. Yeah, going well. Fantastic. Bloody uh, hot, just... but other than that, it's good. Yeah, it is a bit warm. It's very it is... hot. <laughs> it is a bit warm, that's for sure. Hey, guys, before we get into uh, Tim's career, I just want to start by talking about something that happened during the week with the new rule change. And uh, I suppose this will lead us into uh, refereeing as well. So for those who don't know, the new rule change is for anyone who uh, attempts a short kickoff now, um, if it goes out on the full or it doesn't make the 10, you will no longer be given the standard penalty, which would give you the option to go for two. It will now just be a tap from 10 metres out if you're at the goal line or if you're kicking off, it would just be a set restart effectively. Uh, Tim, can I get your thoughts on that? <laughs> um, look, I only found out about it myself during the week when I read the paper. Um, look, I will say rugby league's quite different from a lot of sports because it changes the rules regularly and is very flexible and, and, and tries to move with what's happening, you know, at the time. And things like the corner post change, which, you know, um, has now led to spectacular tries, has been one of those positive changes. I, I I suppose what they're trying to do is encourage the guys to continue to kick, do these, these risky kicks. There's a part of me that says, well, there should be a risk-reward and... Okay, if you want to get and get some sort of advantage, that there's a risk to that, and that therefore, if you get it wrong, you're penalised for it. Um, quite legit. That let's see how it goes. Um, but as I said, I can only imagine they're trying to encourage it to happen because they think that's more of a spectacle and more of a contest. Um, I saw Ben Hunt's comments during the week. Uh, that's where I read it in the paper, and he was sort of a little bit suspect about it. So oh, look, I'm happy to look at it, but you know, it's important that they don't change rules too often or too many because it does get a bit difficult for the spectators, let alone referees, um, to keep up with stuff. But yeah, it, uh, it's, it's not. It's, it's funny you say that, like. And it's quite it's quite amusing at times. You talk about the um, you know spectators trying to keep up with the the rules or, or whatever rule changes, but this is one of those ones where it amazes me how many first grade footballers don't even know the rule that you can't touch the footy within ten meters. So yeah, you know, and, and I think it's well that yeah, it, it's, that, it's, that that is embar- that is embarrassing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it, I mean, it's one of those classic ones where I mean, I'm just I'm a, I'm a golfer as well and. There's no truer statement than um, knowing the rules can be the greatest advantage um, yeah. and used to your own advantage. And um, and over the years, players have picked up on things, you know, having your foot out of touch and, yeah. and catching the ball on the full. I mean, no one did that 15, no, 20 years right. ago. One no, one knew it. Yeah, no one knew you could do it. Yeah. So, um, I mean, if you don't know that you can't, you know, Touch the ball within ten meters from a kickoff or whatever. I mean, well, mate, there is something wrong. So 100%. I agree with you, though. Yeah, I agree with you. It, it's, yeah. it's one of those ones where um, you know people get on their high horse as well, especially with the age of social media and 
like to, to go off the handle about a certain decision or, or something that's happened in a game. And, and nine times out of ten, the person blowing up is actually wrong because they just don't know the yeah. rule or, or don't understand the rule. So that, that's a frustration for mine. Um, with with that new rule, tinkering of the of the rule or the interpretation of it, I don't actually think this one is going to be an enormous change because it'll encourage more of a contest, I think, or I believe, because, you know, there's less risk involved because you're not going to concede two points. So if you're down by two or, or it's even, um, obviously you're more, more inclined to have a crack at it now. But just thinking over the last few years where that short kick has came in, do you reckon we see what, you know, what, once every two or three weekends someone get it completely wrong? You know, maybe once a weekend where someone gets it wrong, if that. No, I, I agree. No, it would be at least that. Um, yeah. But, you know, the counter-argument to that is that there is a skill involved with this, right? Yes. And to kick it 100, uh, 10 metres, sorry, and for to be in a position high enough so my players can get in there and contest it, there is some risk. And I just do like the idea of risk-reward um, yeah. Yeah. And, and that, therefore, you have to think about before you do it, and you've got to execute it properly. Um, so I'm not, you know, I don't think it's a terrible change, but I just think that there's an aspect, you know, of of rewarding good play and, and also realising that if I don't get this right, you know. So, for example, if I'm two points behind um, and, or, or sorry, um, they're two points behind the opposition. Yeah, two and three. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not going to. I'm probably not going to take the risk. So that option's out. And exactly. I don't, have, now, I, don't have, I don't. I don't have a problem with that. But now they, there's no. There's no risk, um, really, because the opposition was going to get the ball anyhow. Um, so that, yeah, exactly. that that's the only part of it. I I, I just think yeah, it's it's a bit of a free hit now. And it is. and do you deserve it? Do you deserve a free hit when you've been pinned in your own? Um, in gold area, so you know the attacks done that they've done that. Well, do you do you deserve it? You probably don't deserve getting any advantage. Well, Tim, well, you I mentioned the too. fact. Sorry, sorry, Steve. Tim, you mentioned the fact that uh, rugby league's not afraid to change a rule every now and then. Yeah. Um, are refs consulted on that, or were they when you were a part of it? Yeah. Yes, yes, they are. Look, what what's very important for referees, and I. Um, this would always be the issue for referees, is that you want to take subjectivity out, right? So you don't want a referee having to make a judgment. We're, I mean, where possible. So the referees are in favour of anything that makes the decision-making process easier, making decisions more black and white. Um, so a classic one of that, which they've totally changed the original intent of the rule, now, I remember this and the reason it actually happened. So you remember people had passed out the back line and guys would come in for a, a smother tackle yeah. and they'd, and the pass would be having them and then it hit the hand uh, of the defender. Yeah. And and there's this, you know, you had to work out whether you play at it or not, right? Yeah. Now, that's a subjective thing that a referee has to do. Did he play at it or he didn't do it? Then we had football coaches come in and tell us, and in fact, our referee at the time, our referee's coaches was Peter Louie, a former football coach. He goes, mate, they're playing, it at it, they're playing at it every time. We go, what do you mean? Well, so when they go and do that smother, I mean, that's the reason they're doing it. And they really are playing at it. 
So the intent of the rule change, which was to stop, and I remember what happened, it was Broncos, Wendell Saylor did one of those, and Wayne Bennett argued he never played at it, he could have picked it up and ran away for a try, and the referee pulled it back, and then they changed the rule. They said, oh, Roddy, you've got to play at it. Sorry, this is a long-winded response, but what, I, what I'm saying is that um, now, now, that rule now, basically, they never say he didn't play at it. Right, and they no, lost the intent. Straight up, isn't it? And yeah. and 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 they lost the intent of the rule. That that was the whole idea of the rule change was that was to change things. So um, that's the type of thing that referees don't want to be involved with. And we're probably happy with that result because you don't have to make a subjective decision. But yes, the referees are consulted, but trust me, they're not the major uh, stakeholder. The major stakeholder is usually the coaches, um, and. And I, I like to think in recent years, a spectator, um, which is what it should be. Well, Tim, yeah, I'd like I to ask what you. I was going to say before, you're, mate, you're right, so, sorry to interrupt, but I think flowing on from what Tim was saying before, and, and you touched on it a little bit yourself, they're not scared to make real changes now and, and willy-nilly. And, and the one thing that I have noticed is, you know, not always, but at the moment, the, the people in charge aren't afraid to you know, identify or put their hand up when they've got something wrong and essentially change it back or, or look at changing it again. So hopefully if, you know, we see that this new yeah. rule change is, is not working or people are taking advantage of it, which smart coaches yeah. will, they'll find a loophole, they'll find a way to, to get an advantage. Maybe we change it back and, you know, someone like Peter Volandis, I, I really don't think he cares either way whether, you know, people like his decision-making or not, because he'll just make a decision and run with it and then change his mind and run with it. So, you know. He, he, he does. Look, the danger is is keeping the fabric of the game intact. And, and, and it, you know, so that's been one of my biggest issues with the video referee. And I was there from the instigation of it. I video refereed 200 games myself. Um, is that, that dragged out, drawn out process, which was happening, I think they've got better at it, um, totally changes the nature of rugby league, which is free-flowing, fast, you've got to be fit, you shouldn't be getting three-minute breaks. Um, And that that was an area that, you know, and they're they're continuing to finesse it, um, and I think that they're getting better and better and better. I mean, the real change that I've not been comfortable with has been the one where you don't penalise guys at the five metres and you do the six again uh, or the ruck. Um, I, I, I just do not like it because it's too much of an advantage um, with momentum when you get a couple of those back-to-back. And I think players are less likely to do it if they're going to be penalised rather than, you know, just six again. Um, I just think it's... Referees are probably more likely to do six again than they are to penalise. So you'll probably see more of them. Um, yeah. So I, I don't you – know, a team gets on a roll and it's it's nearly impossible to stop them uh, if they get a couple of those things. So I, I, I've, I've always been a little bit uncomfortable with that one. There's one thing that frustrates me more than anything when it comes to referees. And I know that's a thankless job. I totally understand that. But and you brought it up there, so I'm just going to touch on it. And it's when the bunker gets a decision wrong because that they they're the ones that have the advantage of slowing it down in real time. I'll never criticise an on-field ref for a wrong decision because they get one look at it and that's it. But when a bunker gets it wrong, so you've been in the video ref in that position, 
Can you tell me, is that actually more stressful than being on the field? Yes. Yes, it is. Um, it's funny. I've seen the full evolution. So we initially started with one bloke in there. And, of course, we didn't have all the technology that they have now. We totally relied on the director, the, the yeah. TV director. And, mate, these directors originally, especially from um, one particular television station, closely guarded their control of the game. Yeah. And they would they would give you what they felt was right, okay, yeah. rather than what you needed. Then they'd be in there telling you, hurry up, come on. This this is the director telling the video referee. In, in your ear while you're trying in to make it. In your ear. Yeah. Come on, mate, come on, mate, because he's worried about the production and what it looks like and, you know, what people at home are thinking and all this type of stuff. And I'd been, we'd had so many examples of very obvious decisions getting, being wrong. And, and what happens is that, or what did happen at that time, is that you become very blinkered. So mm. you, can, you can see you're focusing so much that you either overread something or you, you miss something else that's in the picture, but not what, you know, you're not focusing on that. So then we put in the reserve referee okay, to be in the video box as well. We thought we need another set of eyes. And that's definitely improved things. And really the bunker now is a, you know, is a evolutionary process that's been, now we're now you've got three or four blokes in there and you've got every angle and they're in control of it, which is, which yeah. is the big difference. Uh, and they're seeing things that we haven't necessarily seen at home as well. So yeah, because um, they get I different views, don't they? They, they get everything they at once. Yeah, they, they do. Look, look, it's like going to a lunar space module. Seriously. Yeah. Um, so I think that. But to answer your original question, I'd I'd made decisions, and and we review them every week on the Monday. We go through all the decisions, um, and I would then look at the decision. I, I'd look at it there with cold hard facts of the day, and couldn't believe the decision I made. I think, what the hell? What was I thinking? You know, um, and 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 also, when you're refereeing, you're 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 running all the time on adrenaline. You're acting um, automatically, spontaneously. When you're the video referee, in some ways, you're more relaxed, right? And then suddenly, the decisions with you. So I was involved with the famous 1999 penalty try decision. Grand um, with Chris Ward. So Chris Ward was the video referee, but I was the reserve referee. And I was within the video box. And, mate, when you realised, and I, I turned to Chris, after we saw the first replay with it, ah, oh, no. Then we saw the second replay, and seriously, there was stunned silence in the video box. And then I said to Chris, I said, mate, you're about to make the most significant decision in the history of rugby league. <laughs> Don't want to put pressure on you, mate. And, and fortunately, it was, a, it was an obvious one, you know, from a referee. Yeah, it was a penalty try. Yeah, yeah. But it As a Storm that, fan, it, it was, was very obvious. Very obvious. Yeah, but, <laughs> but, but the issue was the significance of the decision. Yeah. Right? This was going to win a team the grand final, um, the last decision of the year. So that's, again, a long-winded response to, yes, there is a different um, way of operating in the video box or in whatever they call it now. Um, and it's also the adrenaline does really come in and um, it can make you do things that aren't normal. I, I was going to ask, mate, look, I can only imagine um, 
you know, obviously when you're out in the middle and your heart rate's through the roof anyway and you've got to have such a high level of fitness to keep up, let alone make decisions. Um, the the spike in the, the heart rate when all of a sudden, you know, someone's lining up a, a kick from the sideline and then the, the ref blows the whistle and we're going upstairs and a big decision's got to be made. I, I can imagine it's only human that the, the guy or girl up in the, the bunker, the heart rate would just immediately spike. It would go through the roof. You know, for that well, split second, well, then you've got to calm yourself and make a decision. Well, what's happening, and this started when I was there, um, yes, that's right. Um, so that's why they started putting first-grade referees, current first-grade referees in the box. So I, I, when I was, my last couple of years, I, ref, I did two games every weekend. I refereed a game and I video refereed a game. And, and, and I usually did, in my last couple of years, yeah, usually the number one and number two games, you know, the game I refereed and the game I video refereed. So now the advantage of that was that referees are used to the pressure and you're up to date with everything and that. Not that some of the other guys weren't good, don't get me wrong, um, but but they were conscious of what you were talking about and that, so well, let's just use the same guys that, that, you know, that are used to that pressure and used to making decisions and not afraid to make a decision. And uh, so that's what we did. Tim, can I ask you, I just want to, it's fascinating insight that you're giving. And I just want to ask about another dynamic of refereeing. It's, it's a bizarre situation that you're in as a referee, because in a lot of ways, it requires a lot of teamwork between referees to get decisions right, to officiate games and everything. But in a lot of ways as well, it's very individualistic. And you're sort of focusing on your own career as well. You want to make good decisions yourself. And there's promotions that are, there's promotions that happen within the game. We saw one just at the end of last year. Ashley Klein was top dog until he made a couple of bad decisions. And all of a sudden, Adam G's refereeing the NRL grand final. And now, if it was up to me, I'd have Adam G referee every big game going forward because he did a great job. So all of a sudden, the the dynamics might have changed there. Can you talk to us about that? Does that create a lot of tension? It's a good question. Um, So prior to Super League, so... um, you know, I, I, I was based in Brisbane the whole time. There was a few of us based up here. There's guys based in New South Wales, of course. They trained down there. We trained up here. And we, we never, and even the guys down there, you never did group sessions, right? You never did group examinations of things. It was all individual. And Billy won't mind me saying this. And Billy was by far the most competitive guy. And he would have intel that he would keep because that would give him the edge. It was either intel or or something that he did or whatever it was because he wanted to be number one. And, and so it was highly competitive. When Super League came in, um, and, of course, five of us went over to Super League and we became professional. We were the first professional officials. Um, by the way, probably nearly the first professional officials in the world in sport. Um, NFL, Premier League Soccer, um, AFL, None of those guys had professional. The only ones that did was with tennis umpires. And so we were in competition with the ARL. And we wanted to be the best. And we wanted to be the best referees. So that culture of being individualistic was slowly broken down. So we would share and we'd be helping each other. And we'd be looking at each other's games and we'd be, you know. Um, and, you know, ultimately in the end, the best referee is going to get through anyhow. But it was very closely guarded. So that's I, I, I put Super League down or the, the the professionalism angle 
down to us sharing information. The other big thing that changed was that every game was televised. So yeah, when I first yeah. started, you only had a couple of games televised. Um, and therefore, you, you didn't see the other referees. Now that the public was seeing every game every week, it was incredibly important that we were consistent, um, you know, that we were learning from each other. Um, and so the, some of the best, most entertaining sessions you'd ever come is come to a referee session where you're reviewing the decisions of the weekend. Oh, mate, arguing back and forth and screaming at each other. And, yeah, 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 because it, it was, you know, I, I, we're all very opinionated. Well, I am and Billy is and, you know, and he'd have a particular view on advantage and I'd have, no, mate, I don't agree with that, and blah, blah, blah. And then we'd come to some sort of consensus on, on, on what we're going to do. So in the end, it became, well, what's best for all the referees rather than the individual referee? You still have that funny thing that you mentioned. I remember in 2005, um, which is my last year, Paul Simpkins was the favourite for the grand final. And I was, you know, that I'd, I'd done the grand final the year before, but Paul was favourite. And we went to that first week of the major semi. It was him and me. And Cameron Smith dropped the ball this far from the, from the, you know, the ground and he awarded a try, didn't go the video. And I just knew straight away watching the game, I, I just knew, and Simo's one of my best mates. I go, he's gone. Yeah. And there's a part of you going, you little beauty, you know, <laughs> because you're going to admit, I've always compared it sort of, you know, to a cricketer who gets dropped from the from the Australian side of batsman and yeah. the way to replace him, you're probably wanting to get a duck, you know. And, and he's um, probably yeah. one of your best mates. Yeah, that, that's right. So yeah. there's the recognition that that's how, the, that's how it works. And I know... Uh, Simo used to drive me to the airport um, to come back to Brisbane often because he lived around the airport. And I'd get the phone call through telling me I wasn't getting state of origin appointment, you know, despite being number one referee. And then I find out, I go, who's got it? I go, oh, Simo. And I go, oh, Simo, you got the origin game, <laughs> you know. And, and I'm absolutely devastated. And he's trying not to be gleeful because we're mates, but deep down he'd be going, oh, you little beauty. So it was a funny dynamic, but we became, we had a good, when I was there, we had a, and I'm still sure it's the same, we had a very good um, camaraderie. And um, if, if, I, if I'm asked about anything that I miss, it's, it's that with your, with your colleagues, you know. And Tim, look, I imagine that time, you know, Super League broke out, you were a professional, apart from the money and doing what you love full time. I'm sure that's one of the biggest things that, that also came out of it was we were training full-time, being full-time together, and, and the mateship that you would have got out of that with spending more time with each other instead of just, you know, once a week or during those uh, reviews that you did. Oh, we, we became another club, yeah. basically. The referee, and which is what it's like now. The referees became another club. And, and don't forget, during the Super League time, I mean, we were ostracised, right? I mean, don't forget that the players and the teams that went with Super League the ARL wanted them back, and they had that 1995 season where they back. We didn't. We weren't back. I couldn't referee under sevens, right? And I didn't referee um, for two years because of that in in Australia. We went to England. So the reason I'm saying that is that we became even closely, more closely knit because one, it was a siege mentality, and two, we were in competition. Super League was in competition with the ARL. Um, sorry, Tim, and, sorry to interrupt, mate. Did, did you oh, – I was like 15, 16 around that time it broke out. And 
I, I can remember a lot because obviously, you know, being a, a fanatic and that, that age, you, you love something and you're passionate about it and absorb everything. I can't remember. Did you guys go overseas? Did you have to go to England or for a couple of years? Yeah, well, you wouldn't have known. We were person non gratis. So I... Yeah, so no, we, we, I, I, I do remember. The, yeah. I, I was part of the ARL referees, right? Yeah. I'd refereed three, 92, 93, 94 in the ARL. Uh, sorry, and Super League came in 94. Oh, sorry, they signed in 94. 94 April 95 day. was the so first we, year. So we, we, no, look, we could do, I could do an hour telecast on this, I tell you. I mean, yeah. <laughs> we, we signed, and the major reason was what you said. I wanted to be the best, and my competitors yeah. were signing. I thought, well, if I'm part-time and they're professional, they're going to be better than me. Yeah. So I, I you know, I signed. Uh, and then we were immediately sacked, right? And so we couldn't referee in Australia. So we refereed New Zealand because Super League signed up all the other countries. We refereed New Zealand. We went to England, had stints in England. We refereed New Guinea. Um, we refereed basically everywhere else to keep our hands in. Um, so that was in 94. No, that was 95. So I had a year out. I was sacked in 94, about round five, yeah. 94. Had the whole 95 out. We were waiting for the court decision, which would happen at the end of '95. Of course, we had the separate seasons in '96, no '97, '97, and then yeah. and then we came and then we came together in '98. Yeah, but it refereeing was probably the thing that revolutionised the most. Um, yeah. That's when the video referee came in. Um, oh, that's when professionalism yeah. came in. Yeah, it's amazing how far it's come. I mean, my well, my young fella is now 16, so he's around the age I was at that time, and. The other day, I, I had to explain to him, um, we were watching an old game, what the uh, in-goal touchies were. He's like, why are there extra refs in the in-goal? I'll give you a good story about that. Um, I was the first in-goal touch judge. They had a trial yep. game in Toowoomba, right? I can't even remember what year it was. So I mustn't have been in first grade. It must have been in must have been early 91. Yeah. yeah, early 90s. And this in gold touch judge thing came in. We're thinking, what the hell? What are we going to do? So here we are. I still can't believe this. Out runs the referee. Out runs the two touch judges. And out, run, out runs the two in gold. In gold. And we're carrying chairs. <laughs> we're carrying chairs. We went back behind the in gold and we put a chair in. And we're just sitting there. Then about 20 minutes later, John Quayle must have been watching the bloody um, the telecast, gets through a message, get rid of those bloody chairs, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so, so we can move around. So not many people, I don't get a chance to tell that story much, but that was I was the first in-goal referee. Yeah, nice. Uh, and it was a tr trial game in Toowoomba, and we had no idea what the bloody hell we were. We are all referees, you know. We had no yeah. idea what we were doing. Hey, uh, we don't have much time left, but I just want to ask you, Tim, who helped you the most in your career as far as refereeing goes? Uh, that's a good question. Um, again, look, going back to what you said earlier, um, you um, it, it was really an individual sort of endeavour. Um, look, I had certain coaches over the years, uh, older referee, uh, former referees, that would give you good feedback. So I, I, I won't say there was any one person but there were many um, um, guys that would teach you stuff that, you know, really helpful. And then you learn from each other, you know. Um, I learned a lot from Bill um, and, 
we became very good friends, although we were competitors. Um, he taught me a lot about fitness um, and the importance of it. And gym, I've never, I never did gym until I, you know, started mixing with um, Bill. And um, and to this day, you know, I've been working in the gym for thirty years now. You know, so it's become part of my life. So look, there was d- different people, but there, there was nobody. There was no one person, but quite a, you know, a whole range of different um, mentors. Um, I've just got one question, and I, and I know Tom had one that was similar. Yeah, you know, hundreds and hundreds of games of footy that you've um, you've refereed or been involved in. A, is there one that stands out that was the top of the pile for you? The you know just unforgettable. Can't believe I was a part of that game. Look, there's a couple. Um, there's nothing that beats your first grade debut. Um, yeah. I had Balmain Parramatta. It's like it was surreal. I'm a kid from Brisbane watching the ABC match of the day on a Saturday, growing up, and then one. The, the, the week I got my debut, I was watching the game on Saturday at home, knowing I was going to be in Sydney the, the next day, and I just thought, I cannot believe I'm about to fly to Sydney to referee first grade. The 2005 grand final, which ended up being my last game, I was always going to be my last game, I, I knew I was retiring, which was okay. the West Tigers-Cowboys game. And that was a great season. Those yeah. two sides were so um, brilliant. But, mate, one of my most memorable was I had in the 2000 World Cup, I had England versus Ireland at Headingley. Um, and it was 20,000 crowd, which is basically capacity. And the singing, it was a tough game, mate. It was really, these guys were getting stuck into each other. I had, I had a couple of sin bins. I, I, I handled it. I was told I handled it well. And I, I didn't send blokes off, which probably normally you would. Because I, I understand stood the occasion, and um, that was, I, I that was a great memory. I, I loved it. Awesome. Fantastic, That's great. Uh, Tim. We can't thank you enough for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. We might have to do a separate one on the tales of the Super League because it sounds like there's a few stories. Oh, in mate, there that... I, I, I would I would love to tell you stories about that. I tell you, it, it was a oh. unique time in Australian sporting history. And but um, I'm a footy nerd. I, I would eat it up. <laughs> yeah, well, anytime. Love to come back. I love Fantastic. talking about it. Tim, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, boys. All the best. This has been the 60O Podcast, and that is full time.